and welcome to the AV Forums podcast. And joining me for this edition are Assistant Editor Steve Withers. The internet is a communication tool we use the world over where people can come together to bitch about movies and share pornography with one another. News Editor Mark Hodgkinson. Dude, I think I just filled the cup. Games Editor Mark Botwright. Brenda. And Audio Reviewer Ed Selly. In this world gone mad, we won't spank the monkey, the monkey will spank us. Uh, let's get cracking. Uh, Panasonic's European convention was Monday and Tuesday of uh, this week. Um, we're recording this Wednesday night. It's going to go out Friday. Uh, that is why the podcast is late. Friday? Can't you get it done by tomorrow? I've got a video from the Panasonic convention edit as well. I mean, you're quite you're quite welcome to take it all on, Steve, What's if you like. What's more important, the podcast or the Panasonic convention? Um, I don't answer that question, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, right, so let's talk about the uh, the convention. It was held in Amsterdam this year. This is the second time that I'm aware that it's been held in Amsterdam. It was five years ago. It uh, was the last occasion. Also in town was Barack Obama, which meant that everybody's plane had to circle around for 45 minutes whilst Air Force One landed. Quite a nice sight as well, coming into land, and there's Air Force One surrounded by Black Hawk helicopters. Uh, but he wasn't going to the convention. Well, he was going to a convention, but not the Panasonic one. So, no plasmas this year, Steve. This was the big thing. We weren't sure exactly how it was going to go over with uh, with the press, being LED, LCD only. But they are making a fist of it, Panasonic, by saying that they've got all this plasma technology, they're now going to put it into the LED sets. Yeah, that's what they were saying. It does sort of pose the question, why didn't you try and do it before? But I kind of got the feeling there was a slight air slight air of, uh, of sort of, you know, sadness about the whole event because of the death of plasma. Even some of the Panasonic, you know, employees, I won't name any names, but I can see that they were slightly, you know, upset about the fact it was gone. It was always in the back of people's minds, I think, to a certain extent. And a lot of the questions aimed at the company, you know, were, were sort of from a point of view of, you know, can you really expect to replace Plasma with, with LED, LCD, and can it be as good? Um, they certainly, you know, they were trying to make the best of it, I suppose, and they, and they were fairly bullish in terms of their, um, their technology. But, uh, I mean, and we can't really say from a show floor. I mean, I've got to say, the pre-production models they had on display, particularly the, uh, I think, is it the AX800 and AX900, they looked pretty good for LED LCD TVs on a show floor showing, uh, I think it was a football match with um, Barcelona, shot at 4K. Yeah, but the thing was the the lighting as well, um, which was quite good. uh, Because it it was, was, well, it wasn't if you're shooting a video, uh, but if you weren't shooting a video... (laughs) It was quite good in terms of um, getting an idea of what the TV sets were like. But actually, if you stood back and looked at uh, it, all of them on display, every one of them had a different te- uh, colour temperature. <laughs> Not one of them looked similar. And there wasn't any way really to get right round to the edge and see you know, what uniformity would be like uh, if you were sitting off axis, that kind of thing. And also, they didn't give an awful lot of information about the actual panels that they'll be using. Usually they would they would uh, make a big thing about being an IPS panel, but there was actually they didn't actually come out and say what panels would be in what models. No, didn't. In fact, um, it was a little bit thin on detail, wasn't it? Really, Phil. There wasn't that much in the way of specifications. There were sort of headline numbers and, and some key technology they were talking about, but in terms of actual actual you know nitty gritty specs, it was a bit vague. And they've also completely changed the uh, the model numbers now. In an attempt to be less confusing, but in doing so, have become more confusing. Uh, I think. I don't know. Everything, I've, everything I've, starts with an A. I've watched then, that interview a few times now, and it makes sense. But you got you got to watch it. Well, a couple it does of make times. sense to a degree because it's like it starts. With, everything starts with an A. Okay, fair enough. 
And then if, if there's an S next, that means it's got a smart TV platform. If there's a 50 in the number, so if it's uh, AS750, that means it's got smart platform and it's 3D. Although, confusingly, there's also the AS740, which is 3D, and the AX800 and AX900 are also 3D, but they don't have a 50 in the number. But anyway, um, if there's an X in there, it's Ultra HD. Although, again, the AX800 and AX900 obviously have smart platforms, but there's no S in there. So it's not that obvious, really. <laughs> Um, but I, you know, applaud them for trying. At least it makes a change having to say VT and Z, ZT and U. But we were having this converse, we were having this conversation at dinner, and we were talking about the model numbers and so on. Really, why don't they? Why don't they give them names? I mean, I, I don't mean like Dave or you know Susan, <laughs> but why don't they give them names? Because if I was to say LG Scarlet, everybody knows what TV that is and what it looked like. But that's the only one that's ever come out with an actual name. I uh, know. I'm, I'm actually a bit of a fan of names. In fact, I remember years ago that the Sony VW100, before it was launched, everyone used to refer to it as the Ruby. I don't think it was ever actually officially called that, but everyone called it that. And I still call it the Ruby, even though it's technically the VPL VW100. The code name for the VW1000 was the Valkyrie. F***ing brilliant name for a projector. They should have just called it the Sony Valkyrie. Absolutely fantastic. But you're right. Like, uh, I, I, they, I, it's a cool word. But it has absolutely, let's face it, the Valkyries of mythology have nothing in common with a plastic box that spews light out. So what? <laughs> well, I don't know. That matters. To, I mean, you know, Argus, that's pretty cool. Uh, obviously a bit too close to Argos, but, you know, beat thing with a thousand eyes that saw everything and, you know, saw into the darkest corners and darkest Cyclops. recesses. Yeah, that would have been cool. Valkyrie, what, big-titted woman? I mean, I know why it appeals to well, you, again, but it has no, <laughs> no, no actual connotation to projectors at all. Sorry, Ed, you've utterly failed to convince me with that argument. <laughs> <laughs> you just made me think that I'm, even, I'm more right than I thought I was at the beginning of this conversation. Uh, of course, big the other argument would be, well, we use Bravia, we use Vieira, and we use Arcos and that kind of thing. But, uh, sorry, Aquas. Is it Aquas or Arcos? Aquas. Aquas. I always said Aquas. Aquas. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, I think that made total sense. Well, certainly did to everybody that was around that table. That that would be a better way of of naming the TVs. And then it's it's far easier. I mean, yes, we had Kuro, but then you had a, a few models that came under that name as well. So that's kind of the same as Vieira. So it doesn't really make sense that way. But and I'm sure they could come up with some fabulous names. Yeah, I think that's the problem, though, isn't it? It's trying to come up with names year in, year out for the whole model lineup. I mean, there's lots of different I, I mean, how many models that they have on display. There was quite a few there. I'd still buy the Panasonic Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You've got to think more like 50s American, you know, the, the eagle well, the thrust. The Edsel. <laughs> well, I was, that was obviously a bit of a failure. But the Thunderbird, you know, things like that. Or the Eye Melter. The Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fairly common in, um, in terms of cars, isn't it? Most cars, yeah. a, lot, well, a lot of cars have names, not all, I suppose, but here's a fairly common practice there. Um, yeah, so anyway, Panasonic and an attempt to make things simpler, I think, have made things yeah, at, least, at least the numbers follow, though. You know, if it's a nine, it's better than an eight, or in theory, and a seven, or a six, and a five. That's it's true, kind of, yeah. Whereas the letters you just look at the numbers. follow any logic at all, did they? No. <laughs> I, I assume next year it'll be B, <laughs> C, yeah. and so they're a bit They're a bit Samsung ish, aren't they? The model numbers, I, I feel. So, in terms of picture quality, not a lot we can say because, like I say, they all looked like. Yeah, I mentioned it. Um, Phil, because people are going to ask, aren't they? Yeah, of course, yeah. An answer is still at Tokyo on a show floor, but that's no judge of any performance. Exactly. Uh, In terms of design, um, very LG looking, some of the stands that were there. Uh, Certainly on the the 1080p models, the the main stand that tends to run through the range 
It's very much like the, the old LG Square job before they went to the... I would say the design was very generic. Yeah. Um, across the board, it was very generic. There was nothing about the... Aside from some of the tech they were talking about behind the scenes, which sounded quite interesting, uh, the actual lineup itself was was just cookie cutter, kind of generic. Um, it could have been any manufacturer. It could have been LG. It could have been Samsung. Well, actually, not Samsung because they tend to be quite flashy. But um, you know, there was nothing in there that really stood out or caught my eye or made me you know, think I really want that in my lounge. And this is going to uh, be a problem for Panasonic because you know, with Plasma, they had a niche of their own. Yes, it was a it, it was a small sector of the market, but they had it all to their themselves really. Um, yeah, they're now stepping in with the big boys that have been doing LED LCD TVs for a lot longer than Panasonic have and they really need to hit the ground running or they're going to disappear into a market which is just you know flooded with very generic looking TVs I think they're going to I mean they're going to struggle to, to compete in that particular marketplace against the big boys I, I genuinely do because you know it's such a saturated marketplace and people like Samsung and LG have such a stranglehold on it at the moment that uh, to break into that market, which is what they're effectively trying to break into a new market now. You know, everyone else has had <laughs> 10 years of it, um, and they're going to struggle, I think, to do that. Uh, and one of the, you know, their big sort of, you know, um, aces up their sleeve in, in their minds is the AX900, um, you know, using a full array backlight to try and get something approximating a plasma performance from an LED LCD TV. The thing is, that's going to be really expensive. It's not even coming out until September, at least, maybe after that. Well, certainly after IFA. So it's going to be expensive. It's later in the year. I think come the end, end of this year, people are not going to shell out four or five grand when they know that OLED's probably around the corner you know, the following year. Or is it? Well, I mean, yeah, you've got to think everyone, well, maybe not. <laughs> so I think, I think dropping five grand on something when there might be something better at a similar price point soon would put people off. I don't know whether you read the press release for the AX9 and AX8. Um, I found it slightly confusing. They were kind of saying, well, here comes the AX8, you know, it's great, but the AX9 is going to be so much better. Do you not think that's going to put people off buying the AX8? I know a few people on the uh, well, forum responded I, the same way. I, I think that the nine's probably going to be, like Steve says, four or five grand. I mean, just, so, just look at what they did last year with the, the 4K TV and the price that came in at when Sony and Samsung had already cut their prices down to about three grand, the Panasonic was double the price. Yeah, it was five and a half, wasn't it? Yeah, they would price themselves out of it yeah. right from the start, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, it was quite interesting. Uh, Joel Silver was there, from uh, the founder of ISF. Uh, he gave a, a presentation talk uh, during the plenary, and um, I thought it was quite funny because they were banging on about 4K, and then he came on stage and said, uh, and you guys that have done ISS training, you'll you'll know what I'm going to say next. He's, he gave the the four corner points of a good picture, <laughs> so we all know where resolution sits there. That it's number four. <laughs> yeah, fourth. Yeah. So that was quite amusing that he came on and said that, and he said, "Well, really, the first one's dynamic range, <laughs> not re resolution's number four, people," um, which kind of went against the message that they were trying to get across. Um, but it was nice to see Joel there, uh, see him on stage, and I got a chance to catch up with him a little bit later on in the day and have a bit of a uh, a talk uh, one of the things that he mentioned Mark was 1886 I've had this conversation with Steve and I think it was about four people in the room understood, understood yeah. what he was talking about so kind of hit and miss in terms of where they were trying to direct uh, the information on the TVs I think they were trying to say look all our sets are ISF but LG have been doing that for seven years, eight years well, yeah. they, they and that's from the ground up. You know, that's the that's the entry level model yeah, all true. the way to the high end model. They're all got ISF controls, 
So I'm not really sure what they were trying to, to do. Probably trying to impress you, Phil, to be honest, and even Steve. You know, that re- reaffirmation they're committed generally. to picture quality so that you know the ISF controls are there that's that's the marketing behind it I think so. uh, I think there's that and the new gamma but the thing with the new gamma is nothing, nothing at the minute is mastered at a consistent level um, it's yeah. either 2 point well it's anywhere between 2.2 and 2.6 yeah. when it comes to gamma you know take your pick different studios different places do it differently um, yes there's now a standard but are the are the studios going to come into line with that standard? Because if they don't, then using 1886 is, is about as much use as using 2.2. And actually using 1886 is probably going to crush more detail in the blacks because the whole point of it is to try and raise the shadow detail, raise detail in, in the lower levels. Um, if something's mastered at uh, 2.6, it doesn't matter if you're using 1886, does it? Because there's not going to be any detail in there. True. True. Yeah, I think they were keen to emphasise that that they were trying to, um, you know, produce TVs that are accurate in terms of things like colour gamma and grayscale gamma, um, that they have ISF controls, and also that they still, you know, they still place a lot of value on on THX certification, up to and including launching a new um, THX certified Blu-ray player. I'm not entirely sure how that adds any value, really, but as long as the player is doing what it's supposed to be doing. But um, they they seem to, you know, be trying to set themselves up as being a, a a high quality product uh, with, you know, with accurate images. And, and I guess that's their way of trying to differentiate themselves from all the other manufacturers of um, LED LCD TVs in the marketplace. At least all their screens were flat. Yeah. And, and <laughs> obviously you weren't there for the uh, plannery, uh, Steve, um, but they did have a go at that. They actually said, uh, you'll notice that we don't have any cars in our range. And then they said to all the journalists, but we're interested in your views. So come and tell us what you think about carved TVs. And if there's a demand for it, we may introduce it. But I think what basically what they're saying was we ain't carving our screens, which is a positive, I suppose. Depends, really. Are they, buy- are they making their screens or just buying them in from somebody else? But this is what, getting back to the VA IPS thing. IPS thing. We, we don't know. We don't know what's going to be in there. And uh, they are. Uh, I did notice a 39-inch model, which is LG's line this year as well. They've got a 39 in there. So you got to guess that that's going to be an IPS, but then no, they're not. They're not IPS. The thirty nines aren't IPS. Are I can't not? remember who makes them, but they're a VA type panel, thirty nines. Right. Well, there you go then. So mm. it so could, they'll, it they'll could have be some blacks. I mean, just looking at the other two Sony's you've reviewed so far, Mark, it seems as if there's a lot of disparity between the panels, depending yeah. on the models, on screen sizes. Yeah. Um, you know, now that a lot of manufacturers are. Um, yeah, I mean, there's only just you know two or three major panel manufacturers, and it looks like a lot of the TV companies are just shipping them in from third-party vendors, and therefore you're getting you know different panels on different screen sizes within the same model. Although talking about the curve, uh, the only OLED that they did show was curved. Or as they put it, curves both ways, which I always found quite amusing. <laughs> <laughs> like why why, why, why they want to show us that you can curve you know concave and convex the TV? Uh, display why you'd want concave. Display, uh, advertising displays. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Well, that's, that's irrelevant to uh, consumers. Yeah, it's irrelevant, but, you know, the, uh, professional goes hand in hand with consumer. You know, whatever's professional usually goes across the consumer. So I just wish they'd get on and make some OLED well, TVs. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, um, off the record, <laughs> um, I'm, not sure, I'm not even sure if I can say it, but off, off the record, they are having issues. Um, I think everybody's having issues. Um, yeah. So... It, it still looks like the the Holy Grail OLED is probably still another two years away, um, with what we've been told. 
So, um, well, um, Panasonic, uh, there, there's, there's an RGB printing method, and there's obviously Samsung who use RGB, and it looks like the only one currently doesn't seem to be having as many difficulties as the others is uh, LG who, who use white OLED. So yeah. maybe they were correct to go that way in the first place. Mm. We'll see this year. I mean, obviously, they promised things before when they haven't shown up. So. so moving on from the TVs, there was other things uh, on show because Panasonic don't just make TVs. Uh, audio systems, home AV, lots and lots of sound bars. Uh, some are UK only. You know what a sound bar looks like, um, basically. Uh, that's they had a lineup of them. They had a lineup of a couple of tall boy home cinema systems. So yep. um, top of the range came with stands. Uh, Mid range, you'd have to add stands for the speakers or set them at the side of the TV. I'm trying to think what else. Oh, they had their, their version of Sonos. Um, yep. I, th- I think everybody's doing Sonos now, and Sonos yep. seem to be doing really well for themselves. Lots of TV advertising I've noticed, Ed. Uh, for yeah, the Sonos um, systems, there's scurrilous rumours that they might be in danger of actually making a profit sooner or later. So um, good luck to them with that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, everyone everyone wants a piece of the action, and uh, nobody else is doing, as you say, TV spots and and the sort of level of consistent coverage that Sonos are. So even if they are technically better, um, and I wish them all the best, uh, I don't I don't know if they're going to topple the incumbent who's got the money to spend got the investment behind it so we'll see how it goes uh, they did have headphones but no new models uh, were announced at the convention I'm trying to think what else there was Steve uh, white goods obviously so they got the washing machines yeah, and cookers goods. and and so on uh, one area which uh, we didn't venture into and that was about it I mean the only other product that I was really excited about was the GH4 which is their mirrorless DSLR camera which uh, now is 4K capable and very capable. So it's based on the GH3 if you're familiar with that. Uh, new sensor in there obviously for the 4K video. Uh, 100 megabits per second uh, which is double the broadcast standard of 50 and it would even do 200 megabits per second uh, in HD. So looks like being a cracking little camera. One which price wise as well, body only was £1,300 kit form with the 14 to 140 lens was 100 uh, 1700 so you know canon don't have a 4k uh, video functionality and they're they're loved by the professionals so it could be that, that panasonic can uh, cut themselves a nice little niche in that market looking at that product and that was about the only one that genuinely i thought was a bit innovating looking around everything else it was the only one that really sort of i'd go and spend money on and I guess, Steve, that kind of wraps up the uh, the Panasonic convention. And, you know, something that I took away from it was, well, yes, it all looks interesting, but there's nothing there that really sort of blew me away. And I thought, well, that's going to be a game changer. Unlike last year, unlike last year when we came away, and, and the year before, when we came away genuinely excited about uh, certainly the TVs that they were releasing, um, I'm a bit mm, meh. This time around. Yeah, it's true. There was definitely a, a dearth of innovation. Um, although, in all fairness to Panasonic, that applies to a lot of the manufacturers at the moment. I don't think we came away from CES particularly enthused, did we? Nothing really particularly earth-shattering. I, I, was, I was just glad I came away from that show alive. Yeah. <laughs> I was I, glad I'd to love get away it, from Phil, that if, show. if your video for, for AV forums basically has you going into Amsterdam, does a, a quick montage of the products, and then it just turns to you and you go, meh, and then it just cuts to the credit. <laughs> just wander off. <laughs> Maybe just put fat. No, we're, we're, we're not that cruel. And it'd be fair to Panasonic, you know, 
um, they had to, there is a business case behind everything. You know, they are a business, they have to make money. Uh, the new boss that's come in, the new CEO, is basically looking at the business and saying, well, that's not making money, get rid of it. And Plasma fell under that. And you, know, you can't argue with 7% of the market. That's all Plasma had. Um, so you can't argue with the business case, which was, well, we're losing money hand over fist. We're only getting 7% of the market. Get rid of that. We can maybe make some money on LED, LCD TVs. Uh, we spent all this money on R&D, put all that towards the LED TVs and see if we can make money. And if they don't make money, um, I have no hesitation in saying Panasonic will no longer make TVs if it doesn't make money this year. Because they will just say, right, get rid of it. We can make more money in solar panels and irons. Power yeah. drives, that's true. I think the lot of manufacturers in the same boat, though. I mean, obviously, OLED's proving more difficult to make than they could possibly have imagined, um, and they're placing a lot of a lot of um, emphasis on 4K. So they're going to have to hope to God that works out, because uh, if it doesn't, um, or it takes a lot longer for it to become, you know, popular, or there's, you know, difficulty in delivering 4K content, which I can see being a real issue going forward, um, then then a lot of them are going to be in trouble. Or it could be that they're saving OLED for a rainy day. Why? I why think, got, I think they had a big issue. Do you think? Yeah, I mean, if I was in charge of the company and I had something that people wanted, I'd get out there as fast as I could. If I need to steal a march on the competition. Well, LG have done that, haven't they? They're going to have well, three years that, for themselves, well, aren't they? It'll, it'll, be well, it'll be interesting to see if they sell any. Yes. Um, but it well, could well, be. The price, won't it, Phil, basically? Yeah, it all comes down to price. And to, to get the prices down to levels where, where the, you know, your average consumer can afford them, you need competition. And you need the market to have plenty of options, and the only option at the minute is LG. I mean, it could be that they're keeping this stuff on the back burner. I mean, Panasonic said in their press conference, so I'm not giving anything away here, uh, that they will release it when they see uh, that it is ready to be released. So maybe 4K is giving them a bit of breathing space. You know, we can sell LED TVs with a higher resolution, charge a bit more money for them, say it's a new technology, uh, and in the meantime, try and sort out OLED, and if it's ready to go, it'll go. But I'm starting to worry about OLED. The same as I'm starting to worry about 4K Blu-ray. Um, I'm really starting to worry about 4K Blu-ray. The fact that we haven't heard anything, and we're into almost into April now this year, because it's ma making me begin to think that we're not going to see a 4K Blu-ray system of any, you know, either it, it won't happen at all, or what happens won't be supported by the studios, in which case it's a waste of time anyway. Because I, I, I think the studios just want to sh shift stuff via streaming and, and download. They're not interested in the disc-based format. End of story. Well, you just got to look at the cinema uh, distribution model, haven't you? The mm. DCP model, where it's easy to distribute. They're, they're not having to spend money on, on you know loads and loads of prints. Uh, they put the digital file out there. They can copy the digital file umpteen times without degradation. Get it out to the cinemas nice and easy. They've got all the protection that they want. So they're going to want the same thing for the whole market and streaming offers that. It does. Anecdotally, by the way, I mean, this is just from my friends coming around to my house when I've had both OLED, I've had the two OLED TVs that are currently available, the LG and the Samsung, and also I've had a, pretty much all the 4K TVs at some point or another that have been released to date. And all my friends have been more impressed with 4K. How many is. friends are we talking here? You've only no, got one yet. friend. No, I've got more than Prostitutes one friend. Prostitutes don't count. <laughs> <laughs> They've still got an opinion. <laughs> Still got eyes, unfortunately. Um, I know. Um, no, the, the, yeah, there's only two or three people, but they, they've all said, you know, well, actually, I, I preferred the 4K TVs that we've seen to the OLED. So, you know, maybe maybe the manufacturers are thinking, well, if I think we're not you need new friends. Kind of yeah, definitely <laughs> going to say that. 
Oh, I don't know. I mean, if you think about it, it, it yes, I can see the appeal of OLED, um, and I'm sure that most enthusiasts can. Whether the mass market is necessarily seeing the appeal, and maybe that's one of the reasons why Samsung just thought, you know, poof, it's hard to make, it's expensive, and we're not selling any, and no one seems to be that bothered about it. So let's just concentrate on 4K, because resolution numbers are easy to sell, even if, as is the case at the convention, when you stood far, far enough back from the TVs, because they had the same bit of footage being played, exactly the same footage simultaneously being played on both 4K and 1080p TVs, and you stood far, back and far, far enough back, you couldn't really tell the difference anyway. How far back? Not that far away, actually. If you've got about sort of 10 foot away, it started to get difficult. Uh-huh. Yeah. As, yeah. You, as you got close, it was much more obvious, obviously. So it depends on how far away you sit from your TV. I sit pretty close, but, uh, you know. But, yeah, I mean, which is the point Joel Sill was making the day before. Yep. Uh, right, so that was the Panasonic convention. Uh, there is a video report, and it is interesting because it gives Panasonic's point of view. Uh, lots of interviews in there um, from their product managers. Uh, telling you why uh, they've done things a certain way and why they're releasing stuff. So uh, if you're interested in that, that should be up when the, this podcast goes live. Let's move to Ed. Let's talk about Speakers, Ed, because we haven't spoken about uh, sound systems for at least two or three podcasts. Um, biscuits kind of got in the way, uh, which we will <laughs> come on to so. Which yeah. we will come on to later on. Um, but one at Audio Silver, uh, you've had the AV12 speaker package in for review. What was your thoughts? Well, um, hopefully by the time this goes up, the full review will be in place. So um, I'm going to say out loud that uh, it's a really very likable thing. And that's significant for two reasons. Firstly, I'm going to put my my own previous preconceptions straight out in the open. I've never historically been a big fan of Monitor Audio speakers. I found them a little bit shouty, a little bit aggressive. Um, and they seem to have solved a number of those issues. Um, and secondly... It's a rare thing in this day and age, and I will expand on this. It is genuinely a home cinema speaker package. It is not a multi-channel speaker package comprised of stereo speakers with a sub and a centre speaker. It has genuine and very effective rear speakers, and someone has clearly thought about how it operates as a package, and it's not an inconsequential sum of money. Uh, It is depending on where you're shopping around, somewhere between £2,008 and £3,000. But as a one-stop shop that also isn't going to make people's eyes bleed because it is, it's beautifully made, and even in the, re- the finish of the review sample, which is not my favourite colour, it is a very, very nice thing. Um, it really is a, it's a properly good solution. Uh, I mean, we make, we make all jokes about wife acceptance factor and, and other slightly sort of misogynistic things, but realistically, if your your listening your your listening space also has to be a lounge and an attractive place to be, they've got that nailed and they've managed to do that whilst really making a big step forward on performance as well. And um, then I have to say. Uh, we, we, you know, we're going long on speaker packages. I'm hopefully going to do two in April, um, a much more affordable offering from Dali. We were hoping to do it this month, but it's been pushed back slightly. Uh, that's under a thousand pounds, and I have very high hopes for that. And then towards the end of April, uh, we're getting a package in from a German speaker brand called Quadral, uh, one of my fate, sort of unsung heroes of of AV and and hi-fi. They do some incredible things, and they do it in a very quiet and modest way and I have very high expectations for that as well and as a side note uh, right at the end of the month like like all of my reviews but particularly at the end of the month um, this uh, I uh, am going to try and justify the existence 
and get you excited about a pair of earphones that cost £600. <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm hopefully going to try and persuade you that not only are they not a curio or a, a thing for, for rappers and idiots, they are genuinely something to celebrate and something to be to be excited about. I don't think so, my ears are worth spending that much money on. Well, just I'm all I'm asking you to do is to <laughs> read the review and, and see what you think. I'm hoping they're over ears at that price. No, they're in ears. Oh, Jesus. I'm not wearing ears, they just hurt me. No, I can't do it. Sorry. No can do. Well... Just hear me out. All I'm gonna, all I'm asking for is your, is is ten minutes of your time. You can read the review. And you can make a decision. Um, this is not a marketing puff exercise. I literally uh, earlier today, in fact, I spent an hour on the phone being solemnly talked to by technical types and why they've done it that way and all the bits that have gone into it. The, the, a serious amount of time and effort has gone into some tiny, tiny earphones. And yeah. Uh, I never thought I'd say it, but I, I I see the point. So hopefully I can I can try. Yeah, and but but you're the type of guy that sends, spends that type of money on a jacket and a pram or a record or a record. Well, all right, just as I say, just just hear me out. Just wait <laughs> wait until the review goes up, and you can all make your own decisions. And feel free to comment and and roundly mock me at the end of it. You know, it all gets the numbers up. I'm, I'm I, you know water <laughs> off a duck's water off a duck's back for me. But I I I'm much less I, I mean I thought they were going to be you know good but preposterous I, I honestly my my gut feeling is and my I will you know my my thoughts on this are that if you are one of the people that spends their life commuting by public transport and you spend more time listening to a, a portable device than you do your home hi-fi you realistically ought to prioritize something like this above home speakers so will it make the will it make the av forums podcast sound any better ed I don't know. I mean, I I use my my ultra classy Logitech blue uh, sort of <laughs> Skype headset, which you know has the sort of dynamic range you associate with those funny beige Fisher Price tape recorders from my childhood. So, but they don't have a mic. The, the the Sennheisers don't have a microphone on them. So no, I couldn't use them for the podcast even if I wanted to. Okay, uh, just to wrap up on hardware, uh, the Sony W nine. Five uh, HD TV and the Samsung HU8500 UHD TV. They have been reviewed uh, by Mark and Steve, and they are on the site now. So if you want uh, more information on those, we are going to discuss them, but we're running short on time. Uh, then the reviews are up on the site. Go and have a look at them uh, because I think uh, at least one of them is uh, an absolute corker. But I'm not going to say which one. Go and read the reviews. I'll uh, give you my review on the W9 if you like. Meh. There you go. <laughs> oh, you just spoil it. Yeah, you know, I was trying to sell it there, so they're going to read both reviews, Mark. Now they're just going to beautifully read written. Not, not unless, not unless <laughs> beautifully written. My arse. <laughs> so that wraps up the hardware. We'll be back in a sec with games news. So are you there, Mark? Of course, I'm here. <laughs> It sounds less, less 80s than it did in. earlier, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, kicked, kicked in there. Yeah, okay. Um, right, so last week we spoke about uh, Sony VR rumours, and now it's been confirmed. Tell us about it. Yep, uh, GDC. Um, they've, and if you like the nice names, Project Morpheus has been unveiled. Um, VR headset, uh, it looks very cool. Um, they've obviously worked on ergonomics and aesthetics, and it looks like 
if you can imagine sunglasses for someone out of Tron, that's basically what it looks like. Um, obviously, you know, at the moment with uh, Oculus Rift in the news, uh, it, there's very much this sense of a brewing competition who's first to get into the VR space. Uh, it's going to offer 360-degree rotation. It'll use the uh, PlayStation camera for head tracking. Uh, you'll have inertial sensors, accelerometer and gyroscope, and compatible with the Move controller. They showed off a couple of uh, demos, uh, one a castle-based one, uh, the other one that you would kind of assume most VR tech demos tend to use at some point, which is underwater. It was a shark cage that looked very impressive. Um, it, it can even pick up. They, they showed them uh, you had to stand up for them, and so you could even squat, and it could tell when you were bobbing up and down and things like that. Uh, Differences, though, to Oculus Rift, um, LCD screen rather than OLED. Uh, you, you're going to get 960 by 1080 for each eye. Um, slightly slightly narrower field of vision, they think. Um, but other than that, it, it just looks like it's going to be, as as you'd expect from Sony, plug and play. Uh, you know, they want it working with the PS4. And thus far, the only word on release date is not 2014. And it won't cost a thousand dollars like some of their head mount displays have done uh but this seems much less of a of a kind of you know prima donna type product just out there for you know the sake of kudos and something that they actually want you know everyone to hook up to their ps4s does it need to be good looking if you're just going to be sitting in your bedroom with them yeah Absolutely. i think to shift in the first place definitely yeah, no, it, they they have to. If if you're buying a VR VR headset, it has to look cool, you know, because someone will be watching you make an absolute idiot of yourself anyway. Speak for yourself, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, also today they announced um, Project Cars will be compatible with with Project Morpheus. So you know that's that's one of the things that you would assume would translate perhaps easier to a VR experience, which is a cockpit view. Um, they showed off uh, a GDC Eve Valkyrie, which is you know a, a space shooter. So that kind of thing, where you where you're tethered, because it's usually things like movement that end up causing people some kind of a, a bit of a problem with motion sickness and the like. So uh, they're working very much on on the motion sickness and blur side of things with trying to get it to low latency, high frame rate, and I suppose now's the best time. I mean, because the technology with with things like uh, the mobile market, you know, screens and the like, have finally hit the the price point where you could manufacture something like this, you know, in bulk and be able to get it out at a reasonable price point. I actually had a chance to play with Epson's um, glasses last <laughs> week. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they announced them last week, I think, um, and they're kind of a cross between you know a VR head unit and um, Google Glass. But they work quite well. Oh, quite impressive. There was a, there was a couple of games on the de- on the device already loaded, and when you moved your head around, you you were looking around in three dimensional space. It was really quite cool. So I think um, you know those kind of uh, enhanced what do they call them, Mark? Augmented reality. Aug- thank you. Yeah. Augmented reality games. Yes, uh, could be quite fun. With these. I think everyone really is really keen on the idea of augmented reality sim- simply because they want at least one sort of app or function so you see everything like a t800 does in in red with just over glossed white writing just <laughs> giving you various options it'll be amazing most, most people just want to augment their reality to be honest 
don't know. Uh, the uh, the only one of those uh, that I've seen that actually was genuinely useful, especially if you were a tourist, was the augmented reality London Underground navigator, where you could stand at any point inside of Zone Three in London, just hold the phone up with the camera, and then it, it overlaid distances to various tube stations just instantly. And that was really clever. But other than that, it's all sort of window dressing for me. But So is it going to be a success, Mark? I mean, we've been joking on there, but um, in all seriousness, is it going to be something which you think is uh, going to capture the imagination of gamers? Yes, very much so. Simply because, I mean, they've got the studios. Sony have, have got, you know, the backing behind them to be able to actually push this thing forward um, in a way that perhaps other companies... Uh, you would say previously didn't, but given the fact that are we going to get onto Facebook buying Oculus? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, have Facebook wasted $2 billion? Nope, not in the slightest. I don't think. um, It it depends what your view is of uh, Facebook and where you think Oculus was going. I mean, with the way that Sony have have kind of, you know, perhaps pushed things ahead and, and it looks like, I mean, okay, they're not going to release Project Morpheus in 2014, but it will still, it's looming there on the horizon. And the fact they're making it public kind of steals a little bit of Oculus thunder. And Facebook give them backing. You know, that, that's the point. It's, it's, it's giving a huge injection of cash and backing to be able to do various different things. And, and there's really that argument, you know, on the surface of it, the internet's quite annoyed the fact that this was you know, uh, a group of creative minds and, and it was kind of community goodwill pushing them forwards. And, you know, now they've they've been brought up by the kind of death star of social media. Um, but at yeah, some but point, the difference is for those of us that inhabit planet Earth, that means it might actually happen now. Yeah. I was going to say, that's the point. Good Goodwill and online socialism achieve precisely dick. That's the it's, point, which is it's it's the mainstream that will push it forwards and legitimize it and make it into some kind of technology that you will actually see in any way come close to being ubiquitous. You know, the, if it remains a niche product or something that, you know, that we've seen so many different technologies that have just died with people saying, actually, that was really good, but it's it's defunct. It's gone. Um, the, the, the problem is, is that it, it mixes in with this this whole idea of, who are Facebook and what exactly are they going to do with what was previously something seen as as kind of open and, and the kind of socialist view of technology being for for the benefit of all. Um, but Mark Zuckerberg said that he, he sees it as a new communication platform and there'll be, you know, he'll carry on with the gaming side of things and that they'll be pretty much independent of Facebook, you know, operating on their own. So um, Marcus Persons come out and said that he won't release uh, Minecraft on the Rift anymore because he doesn't trust Facebook. But uh, Palmer Lucky, the Oculus inventor, has defended against the kind of barrage of internet onslaughts from various sectors of the market, saying that, look, you they might now be able to make it cheaper, they might be able to make it better, you know, source better um, parts for it, uh, various shelved plans, you know, they can open up again because they've got the backing to actually go there. Um, people will look at the bottom line and that, that a lot of people might be getting rich off this, but largely it looks to be buying out the company in shares rather than just outright cash, but still... Isn't that because Facebook haven't actually got any cash? Exactly. Just, it's all just paper money, isn't it? 
Yeah, and um, so therefore it, it, it's basically you're tying in a tying one company to another and saying, well, if you benefit, we benefit, and if we benefit, you benefit. And so it's it's one of those things, you know, people are a little bit worried about Facebook branding and what type of software they'll be pushed towards. Will it be pushed towards, you know, various different small-scale social media experiences, tack-ons to the Facebook side of things, you know, go and, you know, little underwater dive or something like this, whereas people want to link to actual games. Um, but, no, I, I'm quietly optimistic about it that it, it's – you know, it's it's the way of the world. It's it's market forces, and ultimately, if this was going to, in any way, become legitimate and mainstream, it was probably at some point going to need a backer. But the question was, did it have to be Facebook? Well, let's face it. I mean, in reality, uh, the friends I have on Facebook, I would never have anything to do with, and I probably wouldn't have anything to do <laughs> with. Aren't people sick of Facebook? Yeah, I mean, it's just a waste of time, isn't it? It's just full of adverts now, and people showing pictures of their breakfast and shit like that. I can't believe that anyone puts any faith in a bloody company. I, I, I don't think you should. It's uh, a sit on waste the fence. of time. <laughs> Surely people will just move on to something else, and it will just die a death, like MySpace and other things did. Well, this is probably the reason why they're looking into other things. They want it well, to yeah. evolve rather than just die. I did like the uh, spoof going around that in uh, in retaliation, uh, MySpace had bought Viewmaster. <laughs> 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 oh, very good. <laughs> you don't sound at all like yourself, Mark. <laughs> That's another person on this call. What? Because of the cold? Yeah. yeah. What, what have you done with Botwright? Where is he? <laughs> this, this bloke's interesting and quite funny. What the hell's going on? <laughs> He's overdosed on strepsils. <laughs> Out of date crisps and painkillers. Any any more news to talk about, Mark, in terms of games? No. Okay. Okay. I think with you being ill, we, we won't push your voice any further. Uh, so that wraps up games. We'll be back in a sec with movies. So, Steve, uh, what's at the cinema this week? Uh, at the cinema this week was uh, Labour Labor Day and also A Long Way Down, neither of which I've seen because I couldn't be asked to go to the cinema this week. And also I was in Amsterdam, so I didn't have time. So <laughs> this week there is no What's at the Cinema, Steve. You'll probably be glad to hear. Next week I'll be covering uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Short and sweet. Short and sweet, I suppose. Okay, uh, let's cue up the music. Mark's AV Snack is coming next. <laughs> You asked me, you charged me with coming up with something Dutch-themed. Now, their cuisine, I have to say, isn't the best. So I'm going to keep it simple, uh, again, because I know how rubbish most of you are in the kitchen. And we'll go for pancakes, but the Dutch pancake. Um, actually, I'm not particularly a fan of Dutch pancakes, but hey. We'll go with it. So what's the difference? Is this one... This one's they have baking on powder. They have baking powder. Yeah, they have the, the very flat... You, you, you add a bit of hash to it, don't you, basically? <laughs> yeah, you add a slight <laughs> skunk into the... No, you... Uh, <laughs> Red-eye pancake. <laughs> <laughs> That's optional. Uh, but they, I think the basic difference is they put baking powder in, so they puff off a bit. Uh, which I'm not really a big fan of, and it gives you terrible wind, but hey... Uh, <laughs> You're really selling this. <laughs> I'm telling this. I think these are quite tasty. It's uh, bacon and apple pancakes because they've got a very sweet tooth to touch. I'm not sure why. Um, possibly because they spend too much time in coffee Pro- shops. Probably because they've always got the munchies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, we need flour. You need the baking powder. Oh, God, your quantity shit. Uh, what? Uh, say um, five ounces of flour. 
just making this. No, up. yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, 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 don't. A quarter of a, a quarter of a teaspoon of baking powder, a pinch a of salt, of... <laughs> some milk, about half a pint of milk, an egg, a teaspoon of melted butter, a teaspoon of oil, and then you'll need bacon and uh, apples sliced. So mix your um, flour, baking powder, and salt in uh, a little bit. Drop drop a bit of milk in and make a paste out of it. Uh, and once that's all smooth, add in the rest of the milk and just gradually whisk in. Add in the egg, uh, and I think that'll be it for the for the for that mixture. Uh, then in a pan, um, oh, I would use butter, but you can use oil if you really want. Get it really really hot. Um, very very non-stick pan. Your best pan. Um, otherwise, you end up with disaster. Um, just put ladle in it depends what the size it is but just just a thin coating on the bottom of your pan just take it off the heat while you're sort of um manipulating your wrist I can't, uh, you know, <laughs> <Wanking>. <laughs> yeah, while you're wanking it around to get to, to get a, a thin covering stick it back on the heat um i don't flip i use a palette knife myself and just <laughs> scoop it up are we still talking about cooking now <laughs> you, <honestly. laughs> Flip it over, cut the other side, you cook about, that mixture will make about eight, ten maybe, something like that. And then just, just keep them to one side uh, and then whack in your bacon, fry that till crisp, put that to one side, fry your apples in the bacon fat, that's very important. And then once all that's done, just put your pancakes back into a dry pan, slap in the bacon, slap in the apple, drizzle with maple syrup and that's it, serve it open. And that's a very Whenever Dutch anyone thing. talks about pancakes, I always want to try and replicate the scene in Uncle Buck where he makes the ones using a snow shovel. That's just I'm not sure that would work, you know. Uh, no, probably not. Can I, can I just do my best just to augment and upend the, 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 the Dutch, as Mark, I think Mark is justified in saying it's a bit of a limited cuisine set. Northern European, it's all very heavily meat-based. doesn't do well for snacking, but... When I was a kid, we used to live in Germany, and it was about 45 minutes to the to the Dutch border. And there's a little town called Enschede, and it had um, a market every Sunday. And um, one of the stalls that was there, and it was there without fail, week in, week out, um, they used to sell loads and loads of mushrooms. And not to the Amsterdam type of mushrooms, I mean good-eating <laughs> mushrooms. And they used to sell beer-battered um, oyster mushrooms that had been deep fried in goose fat Um, whilst i have absolutely no doubt that each mushroom was a million calories it was at they were absolutely sensational if you have no fear of burning yourself horribly i think that there's a a lot to be said for that it could probably be properly awesome well to make beer batter i can i can give you a quick recipe for that you just go for it go for it it's just beer beer For, yeah, uh, you want it ice cold as well, so it uh, makes it even crispier. So if, if some, I have some chemical reason that's beyond me, but if you keep you get your beer ice cold, just a, a bowl of flour, uh, and then just keep pouring in and whisking until it's smooth and batter-like. That makes it fantastic batter, which you can use on not just mushrooms, anything. Good stuff. I'd just like to say, I love the way that Mark said, your best frying pan, as if to think we've got more than one. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking, I've only got one frying pan. I've got a frying pan. (laughs) I've got two frying pans and a La Creuse Volcano pan for for, for omelette work. What have you got, Bot, right? Everyone knows you're a flash git. (laughs) Well, quite. I've got several frying pans. Flying (laughs) pans. You racist bastard. You mean a wok? 
Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, so I've got to walk. <laughs> Try to make pancakes in a walk. Don't. Yeah, <laughs> we be very clear on this, just in case anyone is listening and going, oh, what if that work? No, it emphatically will not. Do that would be pancakes. quite worth it, though, because rather than flipping it, you'd have to use kind of centrifugal force. Yeah, I was about to say, if you had a, a hob which also was able to rotate the walk at a steady 35, 40 RPM, it might work. But, it's definitely um, doable. Mm. I don't. I haven't seen one of those recently, or ever. It'll be fact. 32 and a third dead, would it not? I don't know if there's any turntable motor that would stand up to that level of abuse, Phil, but I'll, 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 I'll see if there's anything on the internet that allows you to do it. Okay, so uh, that, that was Mark's recipe. What do we think, guys? Uh, let's go to Mark Paul right first. Um, I always like the idea of making pancakes more than eating them. And not flipping them, that's kind of the whole point. No, I don't flip. It's too risky. Too I, get very, risky. I get very temperamental if things go wrong. <laughs> A typical chef. Yeah, it upsets me. You start shouting at the children and the wife. I've Get out of the kitchen! No, I just sulk. Just sulk. Personal. <laughs> it's like a personal failure. Uh, okay, Ed? Uh, I like the idea of it. I have to admit, I don't get the bacon and sweet things, but we've discussed my disdain for sweet things full stop. So um, I like the premise of it. Probably all go go all in on a savoury one for me, but um, based on that, still give it a seven or so. Um, I just I have to say, uh, maybe may because I don't make pancakes that often, I always ruin the first one getting my eye in. No, you're, supposed to, you're supposed to ruin the first one. That's traditional. Oh, okay, fine. In that case, I'm Bob on for pancakes. Yeah, Bob on. Uh, yeah, okay. Now give give that a solid seven. But my well, when, you, when you've ever not given a pancake. <laughs> I'm sorry. I only, I only, I don't bother myself with mediocrity. I suspect that are good. That was below the belt, Steve. Come on. That was just funny though. Come on. He's got Martina recently. I've noticed. Just have to do terrible televisions. That's not my problem. I hunt out things for the AV400 that are actually some cop. There's a limitless collection of dross out there, and I don't go anywhere near it. Life is too short for dross. <laughs> You know, one of these days we're going to do joking, we're going to do a two-hour podcast one week where it's just going to be all the things Ed hates, <laughs> and and I don't even think two hours would be <laughs> long enough. That's not enough. It's got to be a four-parter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I've got to say I've got no interest, Mark. Um, I'm sure it's it's nice for those that like pancakes, but I don't like pancakes, so not for me. You don't not like anything, me. Phil. You're a fussy bloody eater. I like the pancakes, Mark. But like Ed, I'm not totally convinced on the idea of mixing. I love bacon, by the way. But I don't no, no, honestly, bacon and, bacon and maple syrup is, re- is really nice. I know. Uh, sweet, no, sweet, and, just... sweet and bacon? No, no way. No. Yeah, yeah. But I don't mind eating thing, a massive it, pile of bacon. I mean, the whole pancakes of breakfast thing, you know, North America is emphatically wrong on that, full stop. It's not, that's never appealed to me. All the times I've been to the States and, and been for breakfast, and no, it's never appealed to me. Yeah. That comes from the Dutch. It comes from the, I'm sure that comes from the Dutch influence in uh, in America. I, I eat pancakes on pancake day, basically. Yeah, so do I, to be fair. I usually eat them the day after because I forget. <laughs> well, that, is, that is true. Cause it's the Someone always face. says, oh, today was pancake day. And you say, oh, I'm not going to be bothered now. <laughs> I've been eating hot cross buns and Easter eggs for the last two months. How's your popcorn? Okay. Awesome. Yeah, no, great. That's good. It's really good. Um, and I found, I, even though I didn't previously particularly like popcorn, I'm acquiring quite a taste for it now. And I just had the plain popcorn with nothing on it, just the popped corn. So it's filling and healthy. And um, yeah, it's okay. It's good. I, don't, I don't know about healthy. You must be eating more than the popcorn because you put the weight on, mate. 
Oh, well, yeah, I've obviously, unla- well, I just told you I spent the last two months eating hot cross buns and Easter yeah, eggs. And, and if you watch <laughs> if you watch the Panasonic convention video, you will see the proof of that. <laughs> it's Steve now in widescreen. Yeah, you, did you shoot it on a fisheye lens? Yeah, he was using a fisheye lens. <laughs> right. I they can... say the camera adds £10, isn't it? <laughs> How yeah. many cameras were on you? It's on me, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've not got room to speak. Right. So that's Mark's AV Snack. If you've got any ideas uh, or you want more suggestions, um, maybe themed suggestions for certain types of movies, uh, send them in, podcast at evforums.com, and uh, we'll pick some of those. Right, what's oh. next? Can I, can I make a suggestion oh. to, to Mark for snacks? Can we have some yeah, snacks that involve crackers? Do. Some snacks that involve well, Jacob's, Jacob's crackers. crackers. Maybe, maybe Ed will actually do the challenge. Despite my, <laughs> my loathing my for the My wife has been distinctly unwell last couple of days. She's actually been eating There's always crackers a, a, than I am. <laughs> you, you're like a crap racing driver who's always got a bloody excuse. I know, I know. Uh, no, I, actually, I don't have an excuse. I'm just shit. Uh, but well, one of the forum members has beat you to it, and he did four crackers in two minutes. And the, there is video proof there as well on the thread for the podcast if you haven't seen it. It's extended. Uh, which so a big shout out to Andy or Vizim as he's known on the uh, forum because he did a, he, although it looks like he is not enjoying the process. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I pretty really sure impressed. he was storing some of those crackers in his cheeks. Uh, right, so it's on the uh, the thread for the 12th of March podcast. Uh, go and watch it. Uh, there's a link there for Flickr. Go and watch the video. Uh, just a, a recommendation from me. If you're going to film something on a camera phone, do it in the right aspect ratio, please. Oh, yeah. Really no, I totally agree with that. It does sound like yeah. That really annoys me. But it's funny to watch. And uh, well done, sir. Uh, you are the first one to complete the challenge, so well done. And uh, if anybody else wants to uh, uh, take up the challenge, Steve's going to tell you the rules now. Uh, well, the rules are kind of changing a bit because <laughs> I can't remember what I originally challenged Ed to do. No, uh, no, it's, it's effectively you can't drink during the during uh, you can't drink during the point where you're eating the crackers, um, and you can't have anything on the crackers. So you are eating dry crackers, having and then not imbibing any fluids during that consumption. Yes, process. but there's also a time limit, which was, there was two, a time two limit, crackers so kind of in sixty, 60 seconds. And 60 seconds or two. So this guy's done uh, four. It's the equivalent of the 200 metres. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's doubled done it. He's done a longer. He's doubled longer. it. But I, I think basically we should, someone should try and beat four in, th- in two minutes then, beat Andy's record. Okay. Well, he set the benchmark. So there you yep. go. There's your benchmark, Ed. Uh, right. Expect okay. a video next week. Uh, it is the end of the month. That's when you get everything done. So I'm expecting <laughs> you to get it done. <laughs> Alright, okay. <laughs> uh, right, we're going to start some sort of cracker arms race now. People are going to be doing whole packets of them, <laughs> killing themselves. Yeah. Uh, them well, let's death. face it. You know, this is this is an easy challenge. We could uh, we could go uh, like some of them have on the internet. I mean, what's the next one, Ed? Was it chilies? Te- teaspoon of cinnamon is uh, a guaranteed one-stop shop for throwing your guts up. Really? Yeah, uh, well, we, we don't want to kill the forum members. Yeah, uh, eating eating wasabi, and I, by that I don't mean the dyed horseradish. Actual fresh Japanese fresh wasabi. That's just brutal. Um, and uh, a vinegar drinking is always a good one if uh, if, oh. you're, uh, if you're up for a volume based challenge. Um, I actually, that. I did that at school. I, I won five pounds. About five pounds was, was, was quite something because I drank an entire bottle of Sarsen's malt vinegar and, and managed to keep it down for 90 seconds. 
longer after 90 seconds, I've got to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I, I don't think we want videos of people puking up, Ed. Um, let's, let's not go that far. Um, I don't know. I, I was just simply listing the options available to you. Um, if all else fails, Scotch bonnet eating is hilarious and only rarely winds up when you go into casualty. Right. What about Scotch egg eating? There's a good one. I love Scotch <laughs> yeah, egg. Yeah, that's one I'll happily take part in. <laughs> that's more of a man versus food thing, though, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it is apparently. a bit. But, but if it's a proper Scotch egg, it's so dry that that is a challenge, really is. No, no. Well, Mark, how do they make Mark H? How do they make those? You know when you go to some quite posh pubs, they have scotch eggs where the egg's still runny and warm inside. How do they do that? I would just, um, you, you would, what, well, how big an egg? You took like a quail's egg kind of size. You can do it. It's too busy eating them to pay any attention to that. You do a two-minute <laughs> you you two soft boil, then oh, put it into cold water. Yeah. And then it goes in from exactly. There. Yeah, put it into freeze into freezing water. Put it and then wrap it in your sausage meat, breadcrumb it, and then whack it in your fryer, and it will start to melt. To melt oh, the egg. So you don't basically lot, don't cook. You don't cook your egg through. You cook the, the heat from the deep fat fryer will start to make the yolk cooked. It's 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 magic. It's like when you put a Mars bar in butter and put it in a deep fat <laughs> yeah, fryer. It's a bit, it's a bit <laughs> it, like that. It doesn't melt. No batter. <laughs> You can stick your fingers in batter and then stick it in a deep fat fryer and you won't burn yourself. <laughs> I'm not advising people how to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. The lawsuit's flying in now. That's it. That's a new challenge. Dip your hand in butter and then show it in a deep fat fryer. <laughs> I've done it many a time. <laughs> just, <laughs> just the kicks. Stumps Hodgkins. <laughs> you see my typing. <laughs> that does explain a lot, Mark. <laughs> right. Right, okay. Bombshell. <laughs> uh, so that wraps up uh, the snack segment. Just very quickly, because we are well over time now, um, Blu-rays released this week, Philomena, Saving Mr. Banks, uh, Don John, and the turkey that is Diana. Uh, I'm going to guess that Saving Mr. Banks is probably, and Philomena are probably the two to pick out of there, Steve. Yeah, I haven't actually seen Philomena. Saving Mr. Banks is great. I thoroughly recommend it. I thought it was really, really good. Uh, apparently, Don John's quite good. Um, Kaz's review is up at already. Um, might be worth checking out um, yeah, and avoid Dan like the plague uh, so that's it for the performance podcast this week thanks very much for listening and I just need to thank Steve Withers no sir 1082 is disappearing a dead hooker from Ben Affleck's trailer uh, Mark Hodgkinson who let the cats out Mark Potray just like Winnie the Pooh and Ed Selly ladies 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 Jane Silent Barber in the hizzles and don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook bookmark AV forums for the latest reviews news and video Plus, you can leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again next Wednesday. (laughs) 